0: I'm curious, I don't have this, uh, this isn't one of my questions that I wrote down in advance to ask you, but uh, hearing that end of the story of Jonah, uh, what reactions do you have just hearing Jonah's processing of it? Self-centered. Self-centered. You missed the whole point. I I I was I was thinking that just here, re listening to it again, like you'd think the whole big fish thing would have like uh gotten him on program with what God was doing. Um but here at the end of the story we still have a prophet like totally missing the point. Yeah. it shows you really do not have to be perfect to be used by God. Oh, you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I wanted to start laughing when y- you know you hear God says, "Is this something you should be angry about?" And he says, "Yes, a- yes, angry enough to die." Like that's a little dramatic. Um, I mean, this is getting a little carried away. This um, this story just always strikes me, um, you know. Our kids are coming through that stage where we had, like, all the little kids' books. And, of course, Jonah's story is always partially included. We get through Jonah's calling, Jonah going the other way, big fish, repentance, and then we kind of end the story in most children's Bibles. Um, and so kind of reflecting on where this story goes has been uh, something uh, of a, a, another practice this week. Um, and seeing this unresolved nature of Jonah's story um, is, is maybe even a little, um, hmm. I, wish, I wish we knew more. I wish there was a, a resolution. I, I wish there was more to what we're, we're told here, but... Uh, we're going to work our way through a little bit of Jonah's story and and his thoughts and how, what they might communicate to us. Uh, we've been talking about what it means for us to Participate in sharing the mission of God uh, with the world around us, uh, sharing the good news of Jesus. We've talked about uh, the Missio Day, or the mission of God, which is alerting everyone to the universal reign of God in Christ. That's a little bit of the, the definition that we've been working with over the last couple of weeks. That's alerting people to the universal reign of God in Christ. And several weeks ago, we looked at uh, a passage that many of us have memorized, and we're kind of re-emphasizing again. It was from John 3.16. It says, God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life. And the next verse, God did not send His Son to... Condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Could you guys are listening and or memorize that scripture well? Last week, we looked at uh, the, towards the end of John's uh, version of the gospel, where Jesus has, has come back to life. He's with his disciples, and now he's passing on his mission on to them. And Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me... So I send you. So we looked briefly at a a couple of patterns or ways in which Jesus was sent that we are also called to be sent. The first of those patterns was incarnation, which means um, being with people, being in proximity, being in intentional relationship with people, fostering those and being close to people. And the second of those patterns we talked about was cruciform, or shaped like the cross. Uh, And we talked about Jesus' self-emptying love, a a love that he he knows is going to be beyond making him vulnerable, but will actually lead to his death, and that you and I are called to that kind of self-emptying love for others. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to... Uh, paint uh, a positive image about what it means for us to participate in God's mission. What are the the ways? What are the approaches? What are the the attitudes? What are the motivations? And we talked about that motivation centrally being love, that out of God's love, God sends His Son. And because God loves the world, uh, God sends His Son. And just as the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus the Son sends us. This morning is going to be a, a little different, um, and, and um, just say here at the, the outset, I'm probably going to step on a few toes, I'll probably trample on my own toes uh, throughout this as well, but I think we need to um, look at and tackle and address some ideas of what is not helpful to the mission of God in the world. I largely want to talk about what are the positive ways that we as a church need to reframe our thinking. Um, But this morning, I want to look a little bit at some of those motivations um, that maybe at heart, um, maybe we're in the right place, but some of our tactics, some of the ways that we've gone about uh, sharing God's mission in the world have gone a little astray. So this sermon title is... um, ulterior motives. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that clearly has an ulterior motive? Just maybe think think of, don't share, um, just think in your head uh, some conversations or interactions that you've had and you've thought, all right, what's, what's really behind this? Uh, I was trying to think of some of my own experiences. One of them, um, a number of years ago, uh, Katie and I were out at, at a mall shopping and a- after a while she was doing most of the shopping and I was doing most of the wandering around the mall in like the court spaces. Um, if you ever pay attention, there's a lot of guys out wandering around in the courts, <laughs> courtyard spaces. I assume they all have uh, you know, wife, girlfriend, significant other um, doing shopping somewhere. Um, and so it wasn't strange that there was another guy out seemed to be doing uh, largely the same thing I was. Uh, but he comes up and he starts into this conversation, and, and you know first it's just kind of commiserating, or you know like hey, you know our, our wives are shopping and you know whatever. Um, but then it, it seems like it, it starts to go a little deeper. And, and what do you do for a living? And and you know are you satisfied with that job? And uh, are you open to other financial opportunities? And it was like that line that I was like, gotcha. <laughs> Um, I, and and suddenly it became I, I became aware that there was some other motive, there was some other reason why this stranger is suddenly engaging me in and, and you know trying to go really deep um, with me. And uh, yeah, it, it feels a little bit like you're being used, um, or or when someone's trying to uh, connect with you in that way. Maybe now I'm not against salespeople, but if you want to sell me something. I prefer that you just shoot straight with me. Uh, give me the sales pitch. Don't pretend that you know we need to go uh, into all all of the the rest. Um, I've also had that experience um, with. Uh, people who are running for political office and they show up at, at events and, you know, they start by asking you about what matters to you, but then it's like, here's my platform and I don't really care what you think or the nuances of what you believe. I just, I just need your, to show up and write my name uh, down at that time. If you've been in an experience like that, how do you feel when someone seems to have other motivation in engaging you? How does that make you feel? Irritated. Call blocking. Call blocking. All right. Just yeah, yeah. If it comes up caller ID and it's you know a salesperson, a uh, company that you don't already you know uh, work with, yeah, I tend to hang up. They don't really care about you. Okay, they don't really care about you. Yeah, I don't know what other thoughts uh, or feelings that brings up for you, uh, but today we're going to be kind of going off this story of Jonah, uh, not the big fish part, uh, although the big fish part is interesting because it's the part of the story where Jonah seems to repent. He, he you know, he has this kind of come to moment, uh, come to God moment, um, he prays, he seems to be on the right track, he, he goes and he does the thing that God's asked him to do, uh, but here at the end of the story, it makes me wonder what is really motivating Jonah. Why does he go and now why does he sit back and basically wait for destruction to rain down on Nineveh? What's motivating him? It seems like Jonah kind of misses the point. This really is a story of repentance and one person or one group that gets it And the other uh, that doesn't, and interestingly, the one that doesn't seem to quite get it, is the one in the story that we think probably should. So as we look at what motivates us this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Would you speak through me or despite me this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I did kind of preface the message uh, this morning, but I've heard, I heard a, a great preacher once, uh, once said, I could be wrong. Um, and so I will we'll add this caveat in at the beginning. If you're not familiar with Jonah's story, uh, at the very beginning, uh, God shows up and, and tells Jonah to go and take this message of, of repentance to an enemy nation. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. These were people who were not friendly to the Jewish people, if you look back through their history. Um, Uh, The Jewish people, uh, Israel, becomes a a subjugated uh, nation uh, to the empire of Assyria. And so in this instance, Jonah is sent to an enemy nation to bring a message of confession and repentance. Uh, Jonah, in, in turn, rather than going and doing what God says chooses to run in the opposite direction. The readers are supposed to understand Jonah is running from uh, an omnipresent God, a God who is everywhere, um, and Jonah is running. Um, And we're meant to understand, like, he's never going to outrun God. This is just insane that he would attempt to do such a thing. Jonah then sleeps through a raging storm, he gets, ends up getting thrown overboard, he gets swallowed by the big fish, um, and then there in the belly of the big fish, Jonah seems to have a moment of confession and, and gets a second chance to take the message to Nineveh. Jonah goes uh, to the city. He preaches the message of confession and repentance, and then eventually Jonah goes to find a place to watch God's destructive judgment rain down on the city of Nineveh. In chapter 3 of Jonah's story, we We read this when God saw what they, the the people of Nineveh, did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And Jonah gets really ticked. I didn't want to go and do this because I knew you were a forgiving God. I knew you were going to let up. I knew that you weren't going to destroy these people. That's why I didn't want to come. This story of Jonah has some some echoes, some connections of other biblical stories. Part of it sounds a little bit like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but what's interesting in that story is that Abraham is pleading with God on behalf of the city. If you find, you know, 50 righteous people, and he keeps kind of bargaining with God to try and, and save this, this, the, these cities, and, and when the, God says there's not even this many righteous people, uh, God does send messengers to get um, Lot out of the city, and, and that Lot might be rescued, And so Abraham is kind of the the Jonah figure of that story, pleading on behalf of the city, trying to find rescue. It also has some some faint connections to the the aftermath of the golden calf story in in Exodus. The the people are are brought out of Egypt, um, and Moses goes up on the mountain to get the the law, get the the word of God, and when Moses comes down, he finds that, you know, like half of the Ten Commandments are being broken uh, by Aaron and the people, they've constructed this golden calf, and Aaron has told the people, this is the God that has saved you, and... Yahweh is ready to wipe out these people. He's just very, very frustrated. You know, like, I just rescued these people. I just brought them through uh, the Reed Sea. I've just brought them into to the wilderness. I've just given you uh, the law. And now here these people are bowing down to uh, this golden calf. And Moses intercedes. Moses pleads with them, with God. Please don't do this. You know, don't destroy these people, other nations are going to see this, they're, you know, they're going to think that you're just this destructive, vindictive God, please don't do this. And, and, and Moses is even willing to um, suffer with the people. He, he's, he's willing to remain in proximity to, to um, incarnate God's presence in that place. He's willing to suffer with them. But then we go to this story of Jonah. Jonah isn't willing to stick around with the people. He goes instead, he sets up a booth, he sets up a shelter so he can watch what happens. And so I wonder what motivated Jonah to finally go to Nineveh. Sure, the the big fish plays a part of that. Does Jonah go out of a a sense of dutiful obligation? Well, I I guess I can't run from God, and so I'll go. I'll do the thing God's asked me to do. Is Jonah going because he's actually hopeful for the destruction of the enemy? He's hoping to get a first, uh, a front row seat at God, raining down judgment and destroying these people who have um, held his own kingdom, his own people under their thumbs. We don't see uh, that Jonah actually cares about the people. He doesn't want to risk sharing their fate. There's no signs of the incarnation or being with people. There's no signs of the the cruciform pattern of Jesus, of this self-sacrificial love. No signs of the, the motivation of love for others in Jonah. Jonah seems all about the destructive condemnation. I wonder what motivates us in sharing the kingdom of Jesus with those around us. Let me just uh, talk about a couple of possible motives and um, methods that that have been used in the church. Um, I'll share a little bit that... At one point in history, maybe some of these methods, um, motivations had more legitimacy than others. Uh, but as we live in a more uh, secularized society, um, a, a society where people have Questions and suspicions of the church. Um, we need to uh, maybe reevaluate some of our our thinking, some of our our motives, and some of the ways that we have previously um, attempted to uh, communicate the good news. So these first two motives, I think, have some some good intentions, or they worked for people at one point in time. Um, but now that people have started to ask or doubt what the church's motives really are, we, we probably need to think, rethink these. The first one uh, I call the the bait and switch method of sharing the good news and that 's where we do a really big fun event or service projects, or we try and gather this large crowd for some reason, and then we, we give them the, the old Elevator speech, or we sell, try and sell someone Jesus in that moment. One author, uh, John Rittner, compares this to selling timeshares. He said, if you've ever been in a a place that has a lot of timeshares, you go, and there's often people kind of hanging out in in the parking lot of restaurants, and they're there with free tickets to something, and and you get the free tickets, but all you got to do is show up to hear this this spiel um, later, and and that's how you uh, get these free tickets. And once, once you're at the meeting, a professional salesman applies appropriate pressure to get you to buy into the timeshare. And once you've bought into the timeshare, you're encouraged to invite others to join the timeshare. Maybe it sounds like something that the church has tried. Now we can do big fun events. I'm not against the church doing big fun events. But maybe we do those big fun events because we want people to enjoy life, to uh, build relationships, to um, experience something of the kingdom of God, to gather with people to build relationships. And so it's not like an anti-big event kind of thing. You know, we, we gather together f- food trucks or music or, or, or different things that are happening just to have a good time with people, just to build relationships, just to uh, give people a glimpse of a fuller, bigger life. We can do things that just bless our community. In our society, people have developed an expectation that when the church holds big events, that they're going to be expected to listen to a sermon or expected to show up at church on Sunday. They expect that there is another motivation hiding behind the event. And I wonder if that doesn't turn people simply into consumers. We try to provide a service or a good, and we want paid in the end with their attendance and their financial support. We want their butts and their bucks. A second um, motivation um, is is growing our brand of religion. Or to put that in, in more practical terms, just growing our own congregation. Now, we are Spring Creek Church of the Brethren, and by being Church of the Brethren, of course we have it all right. We, you know, we've kind of cornered the market on the way to the kingdom of heaven. Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek, please. Um, And I think that this motivation is kind of tough because we do believe that we are trying here as a part of this congregation to participate in the kingdom of God. And we believe that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to be in community with other people of faith. And we are trying here at Spring Creek to be faithful to Jesus, to live out the patterns that Jesus uh, calls us to live in, uh, to to, uh, exercise the teachings of Jesus and the way of life that we see reflected in Scripture. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not just about attendance or membership at Spring Creek Church of the Brethren. The kingdom of heaven exists outside of these walls. And here, as a part of this congregation, we are going to try our hardest to be a faithful community of Jesus followers so that when people come to a church event or to a small group or or to a Sunday morning worship service, we want them to see something of the reign of God. So we are trying hard to live that out here But I also think that more and more in our um, secular society, someone's interaction with the reign of God might be seen or heard or experienced first in their interaction with you. And their attendance on a Sunday morning in a worship service may come far down the road in their discipleship journey. This might not be the first place that someone interacts with the kingdom of God. It might come first in conversations and relationships, and they may be discipled long before they ever enter any kind of Sunday school class or small Bible study. In fact, for some, stepping into a sanctuary might be far on down the road of discipleship. Some folks have to overcome wounds by congregations in their previous experiences. Some are wrestling with those perceived ulterior motives. Others think that being a Christian is only about life after death, and they haven't seen the church do or say much that, that might be relevant to them in their daily life now and their struggles now. One author says this church membership is not the key goal of the mission of God. At its heart, the gospel is news about God's action and His reign, not His institution. Mike Frost says this, If we make the alerting of people to God's rule the primary task, then church membership will be a secondary outcome. We need to learn to stop putting the cart before the horse Whenever we assume church attendance is the chief end of mission, we will find ourselves reducing evangelism to recruitment and mission to salesmanship with all its attendant abuses. I say this is really hard. This is kind of a a fine line kind of thing. And and here as a as a church, uh, you know there are certain metrics. There are certain things that we track. Uh, participation in in the life of the church that we track. We track, you know. Uh, who shows up at, at, at love Feast? That way we just kind of are aware who's in participation, who's, who's uh, engaging with us. Um, we track and report our, our weekly attendance. We track and report uh, our, um, our financial giving. But of course, these don't tell the whole story. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong, but certainly don't tell all of whether we are being effective at the mission of God or not. It's certainly easier to, to track our, our Sunday morning attendance or our um, offering. Um, it's easier to track those than conversations that you all have with, with a neighbor about uh, spiritual matters. It's easier to track than, you know, how many people did you serve this week and and, and give them a glimpse of the kingdom. And you know what? I wouldn't necessarily want to report those anyway because we'd risk turning all of those little experiences into a numbers game. But the kingdom of God is not just about growing our brand of religion. Let me touch on just a few other um, motivations or methods real quick, and, and uh, the, the first two, I think, were kind of like, um, I, I think there's often good intentions behind why we want to do events or, or why we uh, want people to come and participate in our worship Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning worship is very important to our spiritual lives. These next couple, I think, are just, just bad. Um, the first one is bribing people into church. And, of course, you hear, you know, who would ever bribe someone to come to church? But it happens quite frequently. Um, That if you say, if you show up on Sunday morning, we'll give you X. uh, Right now, we're kind of working through uh, trying to find a a church database system that allows us just to keep better... track of people's addresses and phone numbers and communicate in a more effective way. But going through uh, this website, um, one thing that they suggest or, or in their example they do is, you know, as a visitor, um, if you come and visit our church, we'll give you free, uh, a coupon for free coffee, which to me says the other weeks, it's not free. Um I, I don't know, maybe that's an effective strategy. You show up on a Sunday morning and uh, we give you a, a coupon for uh, Starbucks. Uh, no such luck for our visitors this morning. Um, a few years ago, there was a, a large church down in Texas that was doing a multi-million dollar giveaway on Resurrection Sunday. They put out all kinds of advertisements, and if you showed up on Easter Sunday, uh, they were handing out iPads and tech gadgets, and they were even giving a car away, and, and the giveaway resulted into multi-million dollar giveaway. Now, do you think their attendance was up that Sunday morning? Absolutely. Absolutely it was. But for what reason? But for what reason? I assume the next Sunday when they weren't giving things away, their attendance dropped off like crazy. (laughs) But I wonder in what smaller ways do we bribe people to come and be a part of the church? Offering something short of whole life in Jesus. Another motive that's just bad is treating others like objects, notches on the uh, evangelism belt. I read one author this week who is uh, writing against this kind of motive or mentality that simply called it taking scalps for the church. Kingdom people seek first the kingdom of God and its justice or its righteousness. Those that are just just church people often put the church work above concerns of justice, mercy, and truth. Church people think about how to get people into the church Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. Now look, I want Spring Creek to be a growing, thriving congregation. And I hope that through faithfully following Jesus and and enacting the ways of the kingdom in our neighborhoods, that people are experiencing the life-giving lordship of Jesus, real, whole, everlasting life. I hope we are not just offering something cheap You know, it would be wonderful if on someone's journey towards Jesus they would join with us here at Spring Creek. We're not perfect. I think we're a pretty cool group of people. We're probably a little quirky. We don't have it all together. We're trying to faithfully follow Jesus, and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't. That's the truth. I believe also that our, uh, our beliefs and our practices here have something of value to offer our world. But ultimately, we are not about the kingdom of Spring Creek Church of the Brethren. That's not the kingdom we want to alert people to. I pray that Spring Creek will not seek its own kingdom, but the kingdom of God. May we be an outpost of the Kingdom of God. But it's not just about more people in these walls on a Sunday morning. It is about people experiencing the reign and rule of God in their lives, in their broken relationships, in their, in their addictions, in, in their shortcomings, in their brokenness. In their debt. It's about experiencing Jesus' whole life, God's shalom in their life. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. God is motivated by love. Love that comes and abides with humanity, what we call incarnation. Love that is self-sacrificial, that we called cruciform. Love that remains even when people deny, reject, betray, and doubt. Jonah, in the end of the story, ditches the people of Nineveh. He fulfills his obligation to bring God's message of repentance and then steps back to watch the destruction Jonah's story gets repeated for a reason, hopefully beyond the big fish part, because his story highlights the need for repentance, the need for repentance of those who seem far from God and the repentance of those who seem or should be near to God. It presents a story of a prophet that still has much to learn about repentance and forgiveness. Jonah's story does not reflect a model of mission or a model of evangelism for us today. Strange guys walking through the city, uh, yelling, smelling like fish is not a method for mission today, right? Speaking about judgment and uh, smelling like a fish are not effective ways to share the mission of God. Maybe it worked back then in Nineveh. It doesn't work today. What motivates us to live out the ethics of Jesus? What motivates us to announce and to demonstrate the reign and the rule of God in Christ? Why do we want to share the kingdom with our neighbors? so we have more butts and bucks on Sunday morning? Or because we genuinely love those around us so much that we want them to experience the shalom, the wholeness, peace of God in their lives, in their relationships, in their health, in their freedom from addiction, their freedom from abuse, their freedom from debt. We want them to experience whole life in Christ because we love them. What motivates us to share the mission of God in this world? We're going to invite your reflection and response this morning by turning in the blue hymnal to number 363 or on the screen, Renew Your Church. Just Jonah's story, you know, goes through the big fish, and we get to the end of his story, and we see that his, it seems as though his heart has not really made a change. He's still expecting uh, God's judgment to rain down, and he's frustrated with God. He needs renewal and confession. Sometimes we in the church need to be honest that we need renewal and confession in our life as well. It's the, this, the words of this hymn invite our hearts to be renewed even as we are sent out. Would you stand?